Before we begin this episode, we'd like to warn you that it contains mentions of suicide, suicide threats, physical abuse and verbal abuse. Please take care of yourself in this. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Welcome to Insight with Katie McKenna and Helen Villers. Hello, Katie. Hey, Helen. How are you? I was just going to ask you that. (laughs) Uh, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Yeah. Exciting week for us. So I just, I can't quite comprehend it. It's just amazing, isn't it? It's just phenomenal. Do you want to tell everyone why we're excited? Yeah. So we are are probably recorded two or three weeks ahead. So our for us, our podcast, our first podcast was released there on Friday. I know. And the numbers are astonishing. So yeah. last night when I looked, and I haven't looked this morning, I should have looked, we've got about 600 downloads. And that it's just mind boggling. Mind boggling. So that's only been in two or three days. We're recording yeah. this very soon after that was just released. That is amazing. And the feedback, and we have been sharing the feedback with each other. The feedback has been amazing from people. Yeah, it's just been unbelievable that people have taken time out of their day to send messages and quite lengthy ones as well. And it's just last night I did a live on TikTok and people were coming in going, oh, I listened to the podcast. It was amazing. It was so good. It was so interesting. Can't wait for more. There was even a complaint that we haven't released more than one episode because somebody wanted to binge listen. And I, I mean, what a lovely thing to say. Um, what yeah. a lovely thing to say. That's, that's what strikes me when I get the messages in that somebody has gone taken time out of their day to express and articulate something. It means so much. And even the people that comment on our TikToks, Uh, I I had one the other day that just said, you know, you've helped me so much. And I remember at the beginning having such a fear. How how can I possibly articulate something in one minute and have it meaningful, you know? So those those messages for me anyway, I I think the same for you, but they they absolutely give me what I feel. They they feel me on and to continue doing this work. It's just so lovely, isn't it, to know that we are actually making a difference? Because that's comments I get. I've had a lot of those comments this weekend about how I've, I've changed people's lives, how they've not been able to access, access therapy and then they come and find our channels and it's just like, mm, that's really nice. You know, really moving, really moving. Really hard to hear it because of compliments. Oh, I, I didn't want to be the one saying that this week again because I know I struggled out with the winds because when you were saying there that we're changing people's lives, I immediately wanted to say, yeah, well, you are Helen. <laughs> it's really it's really hard to sit with that I immediately when you were saying that to me I wanted to dismiss it and minimize it and go oh it's it's not that big a deal but when somebody messages in I absolutely feel it in the moment yeah I absolutely feel that and I am so grateful for that me too it's just wow look we're human Mm. and we are going to struggle with things that our clients struggle with and taking compliments is one that a lot of people struggle with. So, you know. Yeah, and I'm going to work on that right now. And I'll say, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and too. I'll say it too. And I suppose there, when you're saying that we're human, and I'm hesitant in, in sharing this, but because it's personal, but I, I think it's important that when, and I was going to say we, so I'll, I'll use I, <laughs> when... 
No, I'm struggling with that. When someone has successes in their life, it's wonderful to acknowledge all the support, but it can highlight when somebody isn't cheering us on. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that because those two can coexist. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people come into me and they really struggle when they have these conflicting emotions and think that it should be one or should be the other. Mm-hmm. So I can hold this gratitude and this uh, praise and this like I'm I'm really proud of the work that we are doing and I can hold that and also then hold this loss and the other reason I wanted to say it because I think it's very important for when we compare with others you know often we see people's highlight reel you know we and I see it with mothers in particular when we can see a mother out with their children and see them on a really good day in a really good moment and but then we think that that's their life mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you know we compare and always we put ourselves that we're falling short and we put put ourselves below them so I just think it's important to yeah to know that we don't always what know what's going on for somebody else and what we generally see is their highlight reel yeah I say that quite often as well that kind of we all mask to a degree masking is something we see a lot in neurodiversity but but I think every human does do it and it's a different kind of concept but you know I'm hardly going to post photos of me arguing with my child (laughs) or or videos of me arguing with my child over taking the flipping bins out because that doesn't fit into the aesthetic I want people to see of me necessarily but it is a reality I do argue about the bins going out you know, and I think we can really fall into this very difficult trap of everyone's doing better than me. And sometimes that is true. Sometimes that is true. And in those cases, I would argue that those are people who've had healthy, supportive, loving upbringings and haven't had huge trauma, whether that's emotional, physical, sexual neglect, they haven't had the trauma boots I call them trauma boots when and they're not walking through life with trauma boots on and it's very easy to get stuck in oh it's all right for them they've got this that and the other and they make it look so easy when you are doing everything they're trying to do but with trauma background as well with the trauma background I love that analogy with the trauma boots because when you said that I just thought of the weight yeah the weight of of just carrying that extra weight throughout your day and the other thing is a lot of people don't even realize they're wearing them yeah you know how many people come to you and say I don't know why I feel like this and then suddenly we expose this huge emotional abuse in childhood because it's been normalized and they've been told they're the problem all their lives and so they've been trying to fight and swim upstream wearing trauma boots to be normal And yet they haven't had the opportunities afforded them by the people who did grow up with that loving, supportive, accepting background where you can be anything you want to be. You can say no, you can criticize your parent without fear of rejection or abandonment or punishment. You know, it's a big it's life altering, life altering. And you're right. When anybody comes in to me, one of the. The biggest things I think would be confronting that denial and it's no easy task, you know, that because they're so used to being minimized and dismissed that they now have internalized that and they in minimize and dismiss what they're going through. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm just making a fuss. 
I'm just complaining. I don't want to be difficult. Self-gaslighting. We start inhabiting the narrative we've been given and telling ourselves we are doing the things that we are accused of instead of going, hang on, I'm allowed an emotional response. I'm allowed to ask for a need to be met. It's not that there's something wrong with me. It's that somebody has told me that my needs being met is inconvenient and my emotions are an contradiction to what they think they should be and highlight their bad behavior that's that's huge for i had a client in the other day and because when we say this like that you're not allowed your no in childhood and a lot of people can be confused by that so here's an example and it was a client who'd witnessed this from her mother feeding her son so the mother was the grandmother now feeding her son and the child was um 18 months old and you know when you go to feed them at 18 months and they don't want to eat so they just Close enough, mm, yeah, head side to side, yeah. you don't want anything. And the mother had said, look at the way Teco. Look at the way Teco. Oh, my God. Yeah, and the the mother then, the, sorry, the grandmother, did I, yeah, the grandmother had said, look at the way Teco. And the mother was sitting back on, ma'am, he's, he's just not hungry. No, no, look at him. He's such a little bully. And there she was trying to, to feed him. Because when we would use this, how your no was extinguished, a lot of people can't remember that this one time where they said no to something and then there was this big um, kind of massive big deal made about it. And a lot of times because it's it's subtle, but it speaks volumes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, and it's that nonverbal, non-memory laying stage where we don't know what happened. And it starts right back then. The minute you start saying no, it's rejected. Mm. You will look at this child having autonomy. And if, if that was the child, if that was the mother and they were brought up by this, that here, no, you don't have a right to, to say no and not eat, not eat your food, you know, and you're being shamed for it. You're being called a wee thicko or a bully. A, a bully. Yeah. A thicko and a bully mm. just because they don't want to eat. And it was said with humor. It doesn't. You know, it wasn't. No, it doesn't matter. But it's said with humor. It's said with a smile. Oh, look at this wee thicko. But the intent is still there. So that's, that is part of the, what I call the, the onion of denial, you know, peeling back these layers and actually seeing, seeing what it is. And through that, she was actually able to see how this impacted her and how much love that she was able to give to her child. And the loss is actually yeah. that she deserved oh. that also. That probably is a really good place to move into the question we've got today because it's quite a long one. So bear with me, Katie, I will read it to you, but it feels like it might sit quite nicely with, with that example you've just given. I, female, 23, grew up as an only child in what looked like from the outside, an ideal lifestyle. I grew up on a farm. I was top of my class at school, extremely successful in my sport and was an all round, good, perfect child teenager. But behind closed doors, our family struggled. I can't go into much detail about my father, not because I don't want to, but I can't really remember. I have memories of him yelling and swearing about how useless I was and pulling and how I was pulling the family apart, etc. Every couple of months, something small would trigger him or little things would build and he would explode. He would threaten to leave my mother, stop me from competing and sell up everything. I competed horses and that was a safe space for me. Storm around the house and just all round have to tiptoe and round until he settled normally five or six days. And once we had fixed the problem, he exploded about in the first place. 
I remember as a child being almost sick to my stomach when coming home on the bus during these outbursts or having to console my mother and talk through a plan and it'll be okay from as early as being around seven or eight years old. As I got older, it got more frequent and he would throw around more threats such as taking his own life if mum left and telling me at one point he would hang a rope in the tree for me so I hang myself. By about 17, it started to settle a bit as I stood up to him more. I moved out of home from 19. To add on, my dad was very sick my whole life, never worked apart from on the farm and from a young age I was doing maintenance on the farm, looking after dad, bringing him food and hot drinks and being available at any time he called me to do something. I was and still am not close to either of my parents. They don't know my relationships and friendships really at all. And I don't open up to them about any struggles or problems in my life. Now, here's my problem now. I was always considered mature for my age and excelled in my job, moving up to management extremely quickly at a young age, at least seven years younger than usual. In both jobs I've had in my career, I'm the type of person who will open up and talk to easily. And I am always reading and studying people any chance I get. I understand I most likely display a fawn response and have a large amount of anxiety. I always consider myself strong and able to push it to the side, but lately, as I'm taking on more of a management position, I notice doubt and anxiety creeping in. I get affected when staff working with me might not like me and worry that I'm not doing the right thing and mistakes are a big deal. Do you have any tips to help with this? Also, my biggest fear is that I show the same behaviour as my father. I notice I bottle things up that happen, my emotions, and try and forget about them as to not upset the person. Then it all explodes a few weeks later to the person. I sometimes notice I feel that I say the wrong thing in the wrong tone and then can't stop thinking about it. When I get stressed about both work and relationships, my brain goes into overdrive and won't stop leading to many sleepless nights like tonight. It's currently 12.30am. I have work tomorrow at 6am. Sometimes I feel like I treat people just like my father and it's my worst fear. I'm so adamant not to hurt people and to make everyone happy, but I feel guilty also. Like doing that means I only care about what they think about me, if that makes sense. Is there a reason for thinking this way? Why is this happening? And what steps can I take to start to heal? I don't want to keep thinking this way and it's starting to affect my work life relationships and my life in general more and more the older I get. Thanks so much in advance and hope this gets featured as it would be a massive help. You guys are amazing. Wow. So, Katie, what do you make of that? I I just have so much compassion for her now as an adult. Mm-hmm. But as a young child growing up, walking on eggshells around around her father in particular, but also then around her mother, I had to console my mother. And the thing that is most striking to me throughout that is that her needs and wants aren't important. Uh, I'm still not, I was still and still I'm not close to either of my parents at all. They don't know my relationships and friendships and how quickly what she wants. So there with the horses, that this was the one thing in my life that I loved. And yet this was used against her as a form of control and punishment. And also the blame that was put on her how useless I was and that I was pulling the family apart. So the blame on her when her dad got mad, when he would be stomping around the house and he was blaming it on her. For a child, they just internalize that and blame themselves. 
the, the weight of that, you, you spoke there earlier, first, actually, what we spoke about at the beginning, this, you know, on the outside, I had looked what an ideal uh, childhood, here I am on a farm and doing horse riding lessons. But here is what you're talking about, then the, the weighted boots, the weighted boots now that I'm carrying on into adulthood, and carry on that fear of conflict, that now in a management position, I'm really struggling, because if somebody doesn't like me, that is just so unsettling and dysregulating for my nervous system that I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's. What do you make of it? This is just so much trauma. And I think it's the unsafety, the unpredictability, the lack of needs being even noticed, the um, blame from father and the enmeshment with mother around fixing it. How can we make daddy better? How can we fix daddy? You know, his suggestion that she kills herself, the threat of removing everything she cares about. And from a young age, I was doing maintenance on the farm, looking after dad, bringing him food and hot drinks. Her whole value is tied up in her servitude to other people. Her whole value is about meeting other people's needs. And now she's in a management role and she is probably repeating that relational pattern because she's only ever seen her father's type of management. So that I would say is where that's coming from. So I think there's, it's a learned behavior, which is, actually really good news because it's fairly easy to challenge that in self and we maybe need to work out trauma and therapy and stuff but but the fact that it's a learned behavior is okay I don't actually this is not how we manage people um I I feel so sad for this person because do you know what I just radiates off it for me is the total and utter loneliness and isolation yeah so alone so alone and then the weight on her shoulders to be this for them to be the mom's emotional confidant and there to be a worker to do work on the farm to bring her dad food to be of service yeah to be subservient to be his service and because it's safer to do that these are the roles that i play than to disagree with him or to challenge him because it's not safe and this is the bit where a lot of my clients even struggle with when I talk about this, the, you know, to the unpredictability. And there was one client in particular that said to me, I don't understand unpredictability. It was it was so predictable, you know, what was going to happen. And I said, what was predictable? And they said, well, that you were never know who you were going <laughs> to get when you went home. Yeah. Yeah. They said, that's the one thing that you could rely on. And I was saying, OK, so you're saying that it was consistent. It was consistent that there were unpredictable and he was like oh yeah that's what it was and here she's saying going home and feeling sick to my stomach so there's the fight mm -hmm. or flight response so fight flight phrase fun there is a physical reaction to fear so when we feel the emotion fear and there's a physical sensation in our body that our heart is beating faster that our stomach feels sick and one of the reasons our stomach feels sick is because the blood is actually diverted away from our stomach to our major muscle groups so to our arms and to our legs and it's pumping our heart to, to pump this oxygenated blood to those major muscle groups and it diverts it away from our stomach because if we are in a threatening situation 
it isn't essential that our body breaks down what we had for lunch. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense why the body diverts the blood away from our stomach. But when we're sitting on a bus or in a car going home, and now we feel that in our stomach, because we are, it's, it's the fear and it's preparing us in fight or flight. And we're living in this hyper vigilant state, oh, yeah. hyper awareness, hyper attuned to there. Now she said that when she's older, I am always reading and studying people any chance I get. I am so hyper attuned to somebody's facial movements or the sound of their voice or how they move their body or the weight of the walk or, or a door closing. I'm so attuned to it because in childhood I was that hypervigilant and I had to be attuned to it to keep me safe. I mean, you know, hypervigilance was the first reason I went viral on TikTok and it's exactly this so when people say to me that they're an empath what I actually hear them saying is that I'm hyper vigilant and I, I you know I did get some some flack I might have talked about this before and people saying well it's a natural thing and people are born that way and I was like I, I've never met anyone who claims to be an empath that hasn't got trauma so I might and of course I haven't met everyone in the world who claims to be an empath so I definitely can't speak for everyone in the world, and I'm not trying to do that, but I am saying that in my experience, when people describe themselves as empaths, they've had this kind of upbringing. It might not even be as big as this, because this does feel quite quite a lot bigger. It just might be, or not just, but it might be that you were stonewalled, emotionally abandoned. Even though you're physically present, you're emotionally let, like abandoned. But the first word I thought of when I was reading that to you was that hypervigilance is so high in this so this person i would say is still stuck in their dysregulated flight fight fawn response whichever one it is that's serving them best at the time because we don't have to be stuck in one response is it's and i think that's something sometimes people get a little bit confused is that there are actually there are loads of f's um in terms of responses and the you know Yes, we do normally talk about fight, flight, freeze and fawn, but there is the uh, there are others too, fatigue, um, F-U-C-K, there's lots more and we don't have to stick in all of them all the time. And there's this joke all the time about, well, I'm just seven, seven, what my seven trauma responses in a trench coat. And it's like, well, yeah, if you've got a lot of trauma, then I'm afraid so. But it's this person is stuck in hypervigilance and it's impacting every aspect of their life. Go on. So uh, I'm sure you came across Winnicott who has sure. the term um, good, good enough, enough parenting. Yeah. And I love that because good enough parent is saying that what me and you speak about often that yes, we as parents make mistakes, but it's how we repair it and that the repair is made because people who have experienced good enough parenting in childhood they arrive in adulthood with a healthy and flexible response to danger. So they have appropriate access to all of their fours, the freeze, fight, flight, fun. And I think when you're saying that the people that can identify with the phone, of course they have, because that is a healthy and appropriate response. So they are able to listen and compromise, but they're able to do it as readily. So in equal measure as they are to assert and express themselves express their needs their rights and their point of view so they're able to access their so their fight you know your fight um allows you to ensure that you have good boundaries healthy assertiveness and if needed aggressive self-protectiveness so when you were saying they're fatigued what i would hear that is the freeze 
which is, it's often actually the first response to danger. We become still, we become quiet and we assess the danger and decide whether to continue to freeze. So basically to give up and quit struggling when further activity isn't futile. In a, an extreme example of this, we would hear this with rape victims where they say that I, I left yeah. my body. So it was a protection. So it's dorsal vague shutdown mode. And when we stay in that, we can hear the fatigue and we can hear the depression. Air flight is what we would call the um, hyper anxiety, you know, when we can really feel that in our body and that that stress. And it's all different forms of adrenaline, adrenaline, noradrenaline. And if that's in our body for long periods of time, it's cortisol. So healthy access to these is good. But the trauma occurs when we become stuck in one of them. So you say that about the trauma responses. And actually, if you look at this, where she says um, by about 17, it started to settle a bit as I stood up to him more. So the fight starts coming in there. Right. And I've learned that if I fight people, I can manage people. So then we go fast forward to now and we're in this work environment where I'm managing people and I'm trying to manage their emotions and I am fighting to get that done. I, I know that this is a successful and useful way in, in order to manage people. We also just want to touch on the level of failure this person might feel, because they talk about their self-doubt and imposter syndrome, essentially. And the thing that I really notice is, imagine, Katie, you're like seven, eight years old, maybe starting to get older, all the way through your teens, and every so often, unpredictably, your main carer, one of your main carers, is unpredictably angry and threatening and hostile and, you know, abandoning, essentially, emotionally abandoning, um, emotionally abandoning, as well as physically threatening. Mm. You know, and you feel you're responsible for fixing that. And every time you don't stop it happening again. And it takes five or six days to fix the problem. Five or six days. When you are little, five or six days is a lifetime. You think my five-year-old <laughs> on Saturday, we're going to a party on Saturday and she had been excited about it all week, waking up virtually every morning going, oh, is it Saturday? No. <laughs> you know, so excited. And then on Saturday. How many more sleeps? Yeah, absolutely. And then on Saturday morning, she wakes up and goes, oh, it's the party day. And I said, yes, darling. But we've got, we've got to go to gymnastics and walk the dog and then go to the shop and then eat lunch. And then we go to the party. How long is that going to take? Yeah, I'm I can just like, she was like, disappointment what? There. I don't want to yeah. go to gymnastics <laughs> like this. And I was like, we, we, we're going and we have to do these things. And then we'll go to the party straight after lunch. Okay, but how long, mummy? Okay, well, it'll be about four or five hours. Okay, how long is four hours? And it, it seems like just an was, and literally every five minutes, she was... Is it time to go yet? Is it time to go yet? Can we go now? How long until we go? Why, why aren't we going there? How long? I'm so excited. I can't wait. Seven or eight years old. And you're coming home to somebody who is 
aggressive and abandoning and threatening and scary. I mean, how scary when you're little for your father to be like that. And and it's extended. You're right. Because uh, I was when I was hearing that, I was like, where is where is the safety? The parent is supposed to provide that safety, that it's safe for you. Just what they are for your daughter, that it's safe for her to have that. Oh, I don't want to go there. Oh, you know, I want this to happen now. And that it's safe for her to express that. I remember when I was doing um, so I, I don't practice it, but I did um, child play therapy. And and when I was doing that, one of the biggest pieces of work was actually with young children to allow themselves to be angry. So what what would happen if they broke one of the toys? What would happen if they were annoyed with me or frustrated that our time was up? Or So how would I react? And it was my job to teach them that I would always be here, that I would not hurt them and that I wouldn't be angry with them and that it was safe for them to have their emotions and that I was the adult and that I could hold and contain that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such an important thing as parents that we don't abandon our children when they're having those emotions that are termed negative. And I hate it because no emotion is negative. They're just emotions. But people quite often, well, well, I'm going to, I won't talk to you until you'll start being nice. Ah, don't do that. Don't do that to your child. Please don't do it. I know I, I could get on my soapbox about it. But when you do that, you teach your child that their anger, their assertion, their boundaries are not wanted. And that is the most debilitating thing you can do for a kid. So to clarify what you're talking about there is don't emotionally abandon yeah. because it's perfectly okay to say that behavior is not nice. Uh, don't speak to me like that. I'm leaving until you're going to be able to, to speak to me or, you know, if they're smaller children to use kind hands, you know, if mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to play when you're, you're hitting me. So it's okay to say that, but you're on about kind of the emotional abandonment and the sure. shaming for expressing themselves. And what I wanted to go into there with then the safety is so here's one parent that's behaving emotionally abusive and but then here is the mother so here is a person that the child cannot go to for that safety and comfort because the child is actually being that comfort yeah. for the mother so the term that I would use parentification um so during these outbursts having to console my mother and talk through a plan and it'll all be okay. So here I am having that old head on young shoulders. Um, there, she says it in the next paragraph, I was always considered mature for mm. my age. And I had to be the responsible one and reassure my mom that everything would be okay. So where is the support for the child? Yes, I break down parentification, as you know, into emotional, instrumental and, and uh, narcissistic. Yeah. And this person is being emotionally parentified and instrumentally parentified which yes. means there is no room left for them to develop a really healthy sense of self a healthy sense of separation from their parent a healthy sense of boundaries there is no space for that because their whole existence is tied up in being the reparative glue in this family which is unspeakably abusive 
And I think a lot of people would listen to us talking this go, oh my God, what are you talking about? It's not like he actually hit her or it's not like this happened. And yes, those things are terrible too. But have you ever noticed it's a lot easier to explain to somebody how abusive someone was if they've hit you than it is if you tell them that they told me I look like shit every day? Because it is. And it's a real bias that we've got towards abuse that it has to involve sexual or physical aspects for it to count. But this type of abuse will impact you through your entire life, through every single aspect of your life, and it will impact your relationships forever. Unless you do very, very significant therapy. This We're talking years of therapy to recover. This is not a, you can go for 12 sessions and you'll be okay. This is a five to 10 years possibly of therapy. It's the impact of this kind of parenting knows no bounds and reaches to infinity which sounds I know that sounds really depressing the thing is about it is it's realistic that I need people to understand the gravity for me Katie I know like I understand it is like people might see it going oh there's no hope there is totally loads of hope you can actually do a lot of this work on your own your identity building exercises etc but I want people to understand the devastation that emotional abuse and parentification does to a child and an adult, sorry, you know, living the living the lived experience of emotional abuse coming from this kind of background, taking that into the world is like not just trauma boots, it's a trauma suit. So if I can maybe shed the better hope, because I completely agree with what you're saying, but that did strike me when you were saying that unlearning. Um, and I was like, God, if somebody has never even been in therapy, that that just might sound um, just so debilitating. So for me, the first time when I went into therapy was when I was training to be a therapist and I didn't need therapy. <laughs> I I didn't need therapy because I was the mature one and the strong one and I was there for everybody else. And so I just wanted to know how to get better at doing this so that I could do it in a professional capacity. And so I was in denial for those that first group of sessions. We had to do a minimum of 50 sessions. And that denial for me was it, it, it was a block because I kept saying, no, you don't understand. I had a wonderful childhood. <laughs> I had I had great parents. And so from that then and through different stages now in my life, I have gone back into therapy and I suppose I'd be in supervision with work anyway. So and with these sort of supports around me and I am still learning new behaviors, but the biggest is unlearning old behaviors. And so and I think that that continues. So when you're saying that this is a process of work, it is because it's deeper levels of understanding. So there, let's that client that I used at the beginning when she had had her son and then saw how her grandmother treated her son. That was a deeper level of understanding that she would have had if she was in therapy 10 years before. And there was a deeper loss and a grieving and a deeper connection there to her inner child. So I think, is that what you're talking about then? The layers of understanding, the layers of the impact. Um, let's say there even for me, the, the difference for me to be able to connect when there's people in my life that they're with the podcast released just three days ago and when they're not able to support me. Before, I mightn't have even been able to acknowledge that and just dismissed it and, and minimized it and said, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Or I could have went into major avoidant behaviors. So uh, eating, drinking, um, 
venting. I could have, I could have exploded. I could have, you know, kept, kept talking about it and there's nothing wrong with talking about it. But this work has allowed me to be able to acknowledge it, process it, sit with it. And with the aim to, to let that feeling pass. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally relate the, the, the thing, the thing is when I'm talking about this kind of work, it's, it is long and you're right. It's layered and it does sound hopeless and but it's also not because it's the most hopeful oh, thing. And I think what that's what I think I'm probably saying as well is, is that when you do the work, you have no idea what life can be like, you know? Yeah. So similar story over here. We released the podcast. It was really exciting. Loads of my friends did some really, you know, they sort of, one of my friends brought over um, flowers and chocolate and wine and so I'd like to say congratulations. And there were loads of beautiful messages we got from followers and, it was wonderful, but there was a distinct silence from certain areas and it was painful. And I sat with it, as you know, Katie, because obviously I told you about it. And I sat with it and I kind of was just like, oh, this hurts. In the past, I would have self-destructed. What I have learned, however, is that rejection of me is not that there's something wrong with me. It's that there's something wrong with them that I am perfectly good enough as I am and if my success is threatening to other people that is not my problem if my strive to better myself to improve myself whether it's doing things like this or going to therapy if that's threatening guess who's not responsible for that oh Helen that is beautiful (laughs) and (laughs) empowering and raw and vulnerable um, Are you going to cry, Kate? Oh, that is, <laughs> to, to hear that, I'm just I'm trying to express the the validation and the hope, you know, to give even to this listener. So they're giving the other side of that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's powerful. Sorry, that was me being really avoidant of your compassion because <laughs> that's my standard. <laughs> that is my thing. I'm like, yeah, thanks, whatever, and make a joke out of it, but actually what's really there yeah so I don't deserve that so that is so uncomfortable for me to receive that um and there the 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 work and so when we're talking about the work the work is actually now in adulthood Mm -hmm. learning in safe relationships to actually try to accept that am I deserving of that am I deserving of these words of these compassions and a lot of times the adult will say no. And then my work, I go back to the child and I go, well, we're there. Yeah. And, be- and there. when you've grown up with nice things being conditional, you become suspicious of other people saying nice things. Why are you saying that? What do you want? Mm. You know, yes. hear that all the time from clients. And, you know, it's something I, I definitely experience as well. That like, mm, do you actually mean that? Or are you just saying it because you want something? Or is it, you know, yeah. where's the, where is the stuff? So there's the fear. Yeah, that is absolutely the fear that I can't accept the thing because it might have a condition attached, you know? Yeah. And we see that all the time in client work. We see offerings from parents who we might describe as narcissistic or parentifying that, you know, of lots of clients who get offered money by their parents and then it's used against them the whole, whole of the rest of their lives. You know, it's constantly like, you wouldn't be there if it wasn't for me kind of thing. I see that and I see it also as buying their silence. There was generally a gift after 
an abusive episode. So whether that was them being thrown out of the house or being given the silent treatment for, for days or weeks on end. And then here's this gift. Yeah. So then our, our survival responses, that is, you know, that is healthy then for us to be healthily skeptical. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Because in the past that would be hoovering. I would call that hoovering where it's, yes. where it's, you've done this, you know, there's been a situation, maybe you've stood up for yourself and you've said no, and don't treat me or speak to me like that. And the narcissistic person is, is like, how dare you? So I will abandon you emotionally, physically, whichever it is. And in order to get you back on side, they send you flowers or a gift or they, oh, I really miss us. We were so great, but you never talk about the actual issue. It's all swept under the rug. I mean, those bloody narcissists, those narcissists have got such bloody lumpy rugs because they just sweep everything under it, you know? Like, it's like, you're not allowed to have a thought or feeling that contradicts what they think. It's all about towing the line. So we won't talk about the thing that I did that led to this situation where we're not talking, but here's a thing to make you shut up and just get on with it, you know? Yeah. Or... And to be told to be grateful for it. Look at all the things I do for you. When people say to you, don't speak to me like that. I've done so much for you. But they weren't doing it to be nice. They were doing it for control. Those things that they've done for you. Because you're not allowed to criticise me because I've done nice things. That's horseshit. Sorry, language. (laughs) No, I agree. And if we separate out those two things, because it's okay for me to say to you, Helen, don't speak to me like that. So that is healthy and there's the boundary. But here, after all I've done for yes. you, that's that's the bit that's uh, conditional. And we're talking about trauma. The trauma occurs when the attacker abandonment triggers this fight or flight so intensely that the person can't turn it off. So when, when we're looking here down into the second paragraph, when she's saying, so when she says, I notice I bottle things up when things happen, my emotions, and I try to forget about them as to not upset the person. And then it all explodes a few weeks later to the person. And what I want to say about this, when we were talking about earlier, having healthy access to your fight, this is not healthy Mm -hmm. access to our fight response, because this is where we've buried, suppressed, shut down all our emotions and feelings. And then it comes to the point that these have like a volcano erupted in me and I'm going to explode. Because I am avoiding conflict at all costs. I've been conditioned there to please or appease the person in order to feel safe. In therapy, it can actually be highlighting the, the behavior, the bad behavior from the other person. And then, you know, to see that is a step initially. And then that in turn gets us to be able to get in touch with our, with our healthy anger. But if you have been brought up in an environment like this child has, like this woman has, but as a child, where it's not safe for me to express myself, you will fear conflict. Yeah. You will fear expressing yourself. You have learned that it is unsafe. So you will go to any length to avoid confrontation. And if somebody is mad or is angry with you, you will blame yourself. Yeah. And oftentimes the overall feeling is that, um, or the overall belief is that nothing good can come from conflict because I've never been shown healthy conflict. Yeah. So here one person is erupting with anger and, and the mother is shielding herself from that and she's consoling the other person. So I've never seen healthy boundaries. I've never seen somebody healthily express themselves. Yeah. So I just learned to smile and cover up those angry feelings and I push them down. 
until then they explode. And this bit, she says, then that scares me. My biggest fear then is like, I'm, I'm like my father because this is an explosion. And I, I really want to reassure her that she's not like her father because this is not a manipulative behavior. This is not a dominant dominating behavior. This is not a controlling behavior. This is you having not been taught as Katie's just said, how to express your frustration or your need without it becoming an angry statement because the only way you were heard as a child was for you to you said that when you got sent to 17 you started standing up for yourself and I bet you had to do that loudly I bet you had to do that angrily and the only way your needs ever got met was if you shouted them really loudly so this is that in replay you know this is not you being like your father on any bloody level at all so I really want you to hear we don't think that Katie's noddling, noddling, Katie's nodding along with me and noddling too. And um, this is not you being your father. Go on, Katie. I, I am passionate about this. I was nodding yeah. along profusely there. And here is what I call the internalized critic. She's been told that it's always been her fault and to want anything then is is demanding. Mm -hmm. So she has been conditioned to think that if she thinks of herself, it's selfish. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the one thing that her father is being is selfish. Yeah. You know, can yeah. I use the word narcissistic? Um, so then at any time now, when I have absolutely been conditioned to abandon myself, my own wants and needs, now at the thoughts of putting myself first, that will feel selfish because that is alien to me. Yeah. And she fears putting herself first she fears that by not being considerate to other people and this is where the pendulum swings yeah where where somebody hasn't been attuned to us and so there the empath is so attuned to other people and now here the pendulum swings that we will do that to everybody we will over listen over attune overdo and they're not be able to assert healthy boundaries because we don't know what it is but we never want somebody to feel like we felt exactly exactly and what we want to do is bring that pendulum down into the middle because what we have to remind you is to remind yourself that not everyone is going to react the same way as your father and if they do that's a them problem not a you problem because you are allowed to say especially in a management role you're not doing your job properly and you need to do it like this definitely there is a way in which to deliver that news for sure. Have you ever heard of the shit sandwich, Katie? Yes. Yeah. So if you haven't, and I'm sure lots of people have, but if you haven't heard of it, it's the good news, bad news, good news. So you can say, you know, I really love the way you've colored that picture in. If you could just make sure that the lines are a bit more straight next time, that would be great because it's such a good piece of work, right? You've, you've delivered the news. So we can do that in a way where it's, where you're, compassionate and empathetic to how someone's hearing it because I think that's the thing isn't it we're so scared of hurting people we're so scared of triggering certain responses we're so scared that they will feel the way we felt when we were little being told that we were useless and the worst thing that ever happened to somebody that we try to avoid saying it and actually that doesn't help anyone and it's that thing of people pleasing the fawn response is when you try to please everybody you let everybody down and it's not helpful to you or others to bottle things up like that because your relationships become inauthentic and based on you being the yes person and never the no person. And people actually don't know whether to trust you or not because they know that you want to say no. 
you will be communicating that some way and it's this it's just being kind to yourself about I'm allowed to say no I'm allowed to state my need so this is where the behavior served you as a child and served you well in order to keep you safe but it's self-destructive as an adult because the paradox is is that you want that connection but this behavior is actually keeping people further away from you and it ends up building up resentment because and naturally so resentment I describe resentment as you know if you're driving down a motorway and there's the different signs you know to get off at the different junctures so when you hit when you hit um resentment you've gone too far you're giving too much and it's and it's telling you to do a u-turn turn around something needs to change here you know because the next stop is complete burnout so resentment again for a lot of people you know they come in and they can feel really selfish this I've, I'm worried that I'm like them because I don't want to give whereas no when you hit resentment that's that's a point where you need to turn around and one of the things with, with you Helen and we have spoke about this is how great it is to be in a relationship with somebody that can can communicate healthy boundaries. Yeah. So me and Helen are so excited about the stuff we do, but obviously <laughs> we have our own lives going on. So when one is like infused yeah. in something um, and it's great when we hit that together, but for the other person to say, cool, I'll check in with us tomorrow or, um, you know, I'm doing family stuff today or I'm, I'm working today. I, I'll talk to you tomorrow. So there's the, there is the healthy communication. I'm acknowledging that you have, sent as said something and I'm expressing my need for so there I'm expressing a boundary and saying I will get back to this and in a healthy relationship the other person respects that and then we can have just such more room for clearer communication and I think what's also really important to notice is it it doesn't always feel comfortable establishing that no when Katie sends me a message saying oh have you seen the latest email or have you seen this or do you know that and I'm, say, hanging out with the kids or just walking the dog or something, and I, I haven't got time to engage with it, I'll send back, oh, I can't do it right now. I do feel bad. There is a little bit of guilt in me, but I also, because I feel safe with Katie, I know she's not going to use any of the things I might have experienced before to make me feel, you know, to capitalise on that guilt, essentially, is that, that Katie will just go, that's okay, no worries. I'll catch you later. I'm so glad you said that. And because we do bounce things off each other. Mm -hmm. And so I was learning there um, how to edit down. I put some clips up of the podcast on TikTok. And I thought that you had to um, pick a beginning to end. I didn't know you could edit (laughs) in the beginning. And it was quite long. And I sent this to you going, I think this is quite long. And you said, yeah, it is. You know, use a video app and, and edit. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I'd sent you another one. Um, and we, we had, a, had a difference of opinion. And I really felt uh, in my body not to go against what you thought. I felt that um, resistance and going, I've asked for something here. And it, well, it was amazing. And I ended up shortening it way down. And then the second piece of advice, I there, I'm even hesitant saying that I went with my own and I sent you a message saying, Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, you know, really appreciate that. But I and I still feel it in my body. I was going, God, that that feels like that's rejecting. Tap into what my preference was and not go along with yours for fear of rejection, of pissing you off, of you being mad at me going, well, what what the hell did you ask me for anyway? And just go on and do your own thing. And there, so there's the fear of rejection. There's the fear of abandonment in real life. And it's actually in 
healthy relationships that we learn new patterns of behavior and we learn that oh yeah no Helen's like oh yeah <laughs> and I think you you had actually said going you know whichever you think like that's just my that's just my opinion so you had even expressed that in it yeah. and there is where we learn in and break the pattern yeah. in in healthy relationships exactly and it's you know it's funny because I didn't even give it a second thought Katie oh that's I did so funny <laughs> my mind I was just like I do that but but okay. there when you were saying your example that oh yeah I might walk in the dogs I'll I'll have a look at that or get back to you tomorrow um yeah that doesn't cost me a thought and no more than when you do that that with me that doesn't that doesn't cost me a thought the other way last night we we had a text and I was like I'm wrecked I'm, I'm heading to bed early and that I, that's really comfortable for me actually saying that so this shows up for different people different ways yes and I think but I think that's a being safe and secure and we've given each other permission lots of times haven't we to say yes. let me know if you disagree and I think that's what's really nice about our relationship is there is just space to go actually I don't like that and I yeah I might have all the feelings of oh I'm gonna say something and it's something triggering but it's then I go but this is Katie and I know that she'll hear it I know that she's safe and I know that she'll either meet her need or mine but her meeting of her need is not necessarily a rejection of me yes. it's just her saying actually this relationship's important so I'm going to meet my need above yours today because if I don't I will end up resenting you and I think people forget that they just see a rejection of their need as being a rejection of their whole self of course because that is what happened in childhood mm. so yeah I think it's really important to notice that in healthy relationship so when we go back to this email of why this is happening is because you have been given a, a terrible script in which to relate to other people from you know you are playing out the play you, the Shakespeare thing of all the world to stage and we are merely players we are running by a script and the script is given to us in childhood and we replay that script all the way through our lives. And it's why sometimes we meet people and they've got a similar script and we join together with them. And if our scripts are healthy, that's great. If they're unhealthy, it typically will lead to codependency and possibly abuse too. So the reason this is happening to you, Lavi, is because you have had these very difficult narratives pushed upon you. You have not been allowed to be your own person. You have been a server of other people's needs and never been allowed to identify your own or even beat your own. And so as a result, you now walk through life on the same eggshells you had as a child. You're carrying them around with you and taking them into every relationship you have with every other person. So I'm going to invite you to put on some different boots, stomp on those eggshells and find your needs and doing that by building your identity using different techniques and tools that you can just Google. And if you can afford to and you can get into therapy, it will change your life because I can tell you now, there is no way on this earth that I'd have been able to say to Katie, I can't meet your need right now. I'd have fallen on myself to do it. But therapy has changed that for me and it will for you too. Hi there. Did you know you can get access to bonus content by joining our Patreon? To find out more, please click the link in our show notes. You can also support us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. It all helps hugely. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Bye.
Wow, that's profound. And that is, that is why for us to share our example, especially when you're saying this process of therapy is, is so long and because it is unconditioning um, these learned patterns of behavior, I um, equate that analogy of, so TikTok, and if you've ever, you know, TikTok, we get to pick the feet, you know, we get to scroll. And if you've ever been on the wrong side of TikTok and got, um, you know, messages that we don't like and we just scroll past them. But in, the, in childhood, we can scroll past the narrative we've been given. We've been fed this one narrative. And that's how we end up internalizing it and believing it, because we have no other um, sources. These Our parents are our source. And at the beginning, when she said, you know, uh, from the outside, it looked like an ideal lifestyle. So I wonder how that was, what other sources that was saying to yes. her, possibly how lucky she was doing horse riding, living on a farm, being able to do all these great things. Uh, kids can often look to when, you know, maybe if you're able to drive a tractor, you're doing this work and kids can look at that and go, wow, you're so lucky. So we might have been praised from other kids, but also then not be able actually to connect with our peers because we're so old, we're beyond our years. So it can actually be quite lonely in school because this has been put upon us. We cannot connect with our peers and the innocence of that youth and childhood and freedom because we have this burden placed upon us that we have so much to do. Yeah, so there's a huge loss there in childhood. So I'm just wondering what other feats um, she was getting in. So they're not able to scroll past them. And here now in adulthood, yeah, this is exactly what's happening. Fear of rejection, fear of conflict, I think is a, well, fear of conflict because of fear of rejection. And what you were saying there about looking up online for, there's huge, uh, again, resources that's free for communication skills. There, you had mentioned one, the, the shit sandwich. So in work, that might look like, you know, you're great when you come in and how much you're able to connect with your work, but I need you to be here at such and such a time. Yes. You know, um, to be able to do all the good things that you do. So there's loads of wonderful communication tools. And at the beginning, this will be really, really hard and it will put you out of your comfort zone. And that's why me and Helen are talking about us doing it to show you that this is very normal. And the first time that you step out of your comfort zone to do something, you will feel fear because it's not familiar to you. Your body actually won't know that this is a is a healthy way. And so it's to know that that this will be uncomfortable, but the more we do it and the more we become familiar with it, then this comes into our comfort zone. Absolutely. I think one of the ways to describe that discomfort is we're asking you now to take off your trauma boots. So all those things that have got you to this point that have kept you safe, that have allowed you to exist without that fear of rejection to help you feel in control, all of those things, we're asking you to take those off, those trauma boots off, and we're going to ask you to put some new shoes on. And those shoes are going to be uncomfortable and they're going to give you blisters. So those new shoes are the shoes that are now going to carry you into different relationships. They're going to be eggshell stumping shoes. And they are going to be difficult and painful and blistery and horrible. And they're going to feel unfamiliar. And you're going to look down and not recognise them. And it's not going to be who you know yourself to be living in these shoes. But over time, they'll stop rubbing. They'll stop hurting. They will become so comfortable you won't even know you're wearing them. And you will trip happily through life, skipping along in these very comfortable shoes, 
putting boundaries in left, right and centre without even knowing that you're doing it. But it will take some time to get used to them. But you can do it for sure. I love that analogy with the new shoes. Yeah, it's uh, uncomfortable. And, you know, with new shoes as well, we wouldn't wear them you know, all day and, and all night. So we we pick and we plan and we kind of break them in. So a lot of times when somebody is looking to me to set a boundary, they'll name like the biggest, the worst, the scariest yes. thing possible. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, how about in a safe relationship? So with me and you, like you said, we gave each other permission. I remember when we were picking our logo and we yes. were being so polite to each other. Well, what do you think? And, and then it was like, look, have the freedom to express what you want. And the other person is responsible for saying it. So then it was safer to say, I really like this. I don't like this. What do you think? And you're asking the other person to show up. So in relationships that can be with a friend, and if you can use this language, great. Saying, look, I'm trying to set boundaries. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to say if I don't want to do something, you know, so I'm, I'm going to try that with you. And maybe if you ask me to go out somewhere, I'm, I'm, I don't want you to be offended. I'm really, I'm going to say no. And please don't push me because I'm not really strong in my boundaries yet. Yeah. And we can express it in that because when she's asking, where is it coming from? It's really hard to get in touch with that when that has been restricted our whole life, when our parents has either directly like the father or indirectly like the mother, because it's it's still pushing down and rejecting her experience. And then, you know, we don't know what we really want and can struggle mightily with even the smallest of decisions in adulthood. So that is why it's really important to try and get in touch with that in, in a safe relationship with a friend, with a sister, with a partner and express our boundaries so what I call you know the uh the hurdles don't pick one that is that is so hard for you to get over and you know pick something that is just out of your comfort zone so you are going to have to it is a it is a stretch for you to get across but it's manageable because then that win and and we do what's your win of the week then with that win that encourages us to do another one oh I I did that. Yeah. And that's why it's great. And in therapy to be able to share those wins, because a lot of times when we do this, so a lot of times when there's growth in my clients, they actually don't see it because now they're just wearing the shoes. Yeah. Yeah. They're just wearing the shoes and they don't notice it. But when it's fed back to them, they're like, wow. Or, you know, how, so they're in a management position. How would you have dealt with that six months ago? And they're like, oh my God. Oh yeah. I completely would have avoided it and said nothing and took that extra shift for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's something I do with clients all the time is think about where you were a year ago or six months ago, three months ago, even. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. And you're absolutely right to get somebody to manage the level at which they're attacking or wearing the shoes you know taking them off and on using them in the right environments using your trauma boots in the right environments too because absolutely I can say things to Katie that I would never say to certain other people because I know they won't be received and I why why expose myself to that pain or that confirmation of my narrative by doing so it just it makes no sense really if I know somebody is going to confirm what I already think I'm not going to put a boundary in with them and this this challenge that this listener is facing now in management because in management we're actually not the the role is not to be liked (laughs) so here is the that need that want that desperate fear to be liked because it's such a fear of rejection but I'm being put in that now to not be liked 
to actually to enforce and hold boundaries. So when you're asking, can this change? Yes. And actually, here's an environment when I'm all about in your friendships and safe friendships to be able to do that. But this is actually great practice here in work because these aren't my friends. Now, this is going to be really hard for you hearing this because you're like, I know that, but I want them to like me. But actually, here is a boundary in itself to be able to separate actually who really matters to me, my friends and and their value and their opinion. Like, I mean, if somebody was close to me was upset with something that I did, I would check in with that and, and, and look at that and I wouldn't want to offend them. But here, when it's my role, so here's the boundary, when it's my role to implement, let's say, if you come, you know, arrive to work on time or that you do your fair share of the work for that not to fall on to somebody else. And I can express that. And if you are annoyed with that, that that is your responsibility. That is the boundary. Imagine Perspex with COVID, that it's kind of bouncing off um, the Perspex. That's yours. And a lot of boundary work, you know, people again think it's the big nose. How do I say no to this? And a lot of the boundary work is actually separating what is your emotion and my emotion, because I haven't had that in childhood. I haven't been able to separate it because if dad was angry, that affected me. It wasn't separate. If mom was upset, I had to care for her needs. So I actually don't know what my wants and needs are. So a lot of that work is identifying that and being able to separate out the other person's emotions. Yeah. And I think just to go a bit further with that is not just what's your emotion and what's my emotion, what's my emotional responsibility and what's your emotional responsibility? Yes. Because if I come in and say to Katie, oh, my God, you're so annoying. Having not said anything at all for weeks, then I'm being a bitch. You know, I'm not being kind because really what I should have done is said, you know what, Katie, it's, it's, I'm finding it really frustrating when you do X, Y, Z. And talked about it when we were able to regulate, when it was not this thing where, you know, where this, this writer is getting to this point of explosion, not leaving it to get to that point, because that's my emotional responsibility. And if you, if I come in and say, Katie, you know, I'm trying to think of something because nothing, there's nothing at the moment yet. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm sure there will be at yes. times. There's going to be something. We're going to do this as hopefully for a long time. Yeah. And at some point we're going to annoy each other about something. But what the responsibility is to come to each other and say, do you know what? When you did that, it really bothered me. And can you not do it anymore? And for the other to say either yes or no, depending on who's, you know, where the emotion is. But also remembering that if I come in going, you're, you know, really angry and Katie has a big reaction to that, that's my responsibility. Because I actually created that situation. It didn't need to be like that. If Katie's having a negative reaction to my emotion in, and I've, because I've exploded, that's my fault. I'm really glad you said that because when we're brought when we're brought up in an environment where it's our fault, we actually won't be able to distinguish and separate then what is kind of healthy, again, healthy conflict and unhealthy. So if you were to come and kind of dump all that emotion on me as a friend, that's that's not fair. That's not healthy. That's not OK. That's up to you. And that would be your responsibility to express that in a rational manner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because. I, I mean, I think back to my 20s when I was living with somebody and I was working quite late at a pub 
And so after the pub, we would all come back to the house, me and my friends, and um, and we'd all just sit around, like, end of the day, having, you know, we were early 20s, Katie, you know what we were yeah. doing. <laughs> Love us. <laughs> so we're all, like, having a great time and never thought anything of it. And they all left and then I trot to bed. And then the next day, my housemate came downstairs and had a huge go at me about how loud we had been. And I felt terrible. Mm. Like I felt like, you know, that sick, like she took that dread, that real sick feeling like, oh my God, I'm the worst person that ever existed. And there's just this little pinging thought popped into my head. But why didn't you say something last night? Because I can't do anything about this now. I don't this doesn't feel very fair but being as I was I was like oh, I'm really sorry that's fine and um you know really apologized for it but it never left me that feeling of I've done something terribly terribly wrong and then the questioning of well that doesn't make sense because I can't say sorry for so or I can't change something that's already happened if you don't tell me in the moment yeah that it's you know it's one thing to say hey look you guys were really loud last night. Could you, could you next time maybe not bring everybody back? Because I've got to get up early or whatever. Actually, they didn't. They weren't working. But whatever. Could you just not bring everyone back and party until three o'clock in the morning? And I'd have gone, God, I'm so sorry. Next time, just come and tell me straight away. And it would have, that would have been enough. That would have been it. And I wouldn't have done it again. But to come down the next day and scream and shout at me for being too loud and for inviting everyone back and, you know, using the bathroom that's outside their bedroom. It's not very fair, is it? So that's what we're talking about in that idea of res the, my responsibility was not that big emotion. It would have been saying sorry for being so loud. We won't do it again. It wouldn't have been, <gasps> I'm the worst person ever, right? So apologize when we do something wrong. But if we take ownership of everything, when we apologize for everything, we're, we're, def we're, we're taking all the blame and we're not holding the other person accountable. Yeah. yeah. So we're apologizing for our behavior, not for their feelings. Yes. Okay. So we're not saying it's all right that you treat me or speak to me in that way because of this minor infraction that I've made. We are saying, yeah, I, I did a... a inconsiderate behavior by bringing all my friends back at, you know until three o'clock in the morning but I'm not responsible for your irritation and anger right now because you could have done something about that last night when everyone was here even if it was to pull me aside and say honey yeah. like you guys are keeping me up so then okay. that's what you're on about the boundary what is somebody else's responsibility yeah. Yeah. yeah I want to just go back to this letter and where she's just saying, I'm so adamant not to hurt people and to make everyone happy. I'll ask you, is that realistic, Helen? No, of course not, because we're not, you know, you can't spread yourself that thin. You're not peanut butter, right? It should be nice and chunky. And as you know, I prefer smooth, but, you know. And not everybody's going to like peanut butter. And not everyone <laughs> likes peanut butter, right? We are literal figurative Marmite people. Nobody, not everyone is going to like us. We are not going to make everybody happy. We just can't. It's one thing to avoid actively hurting people. It's one thing to be considerate and thoughtful and helpful where you can be. But it's another thing to make it to your life's ambition of the futile task 
to make everyone happy because you just not just by existing I piss people off Katie I don't know about you just by being on the planet people are irritated we you and I have these massive TikTok followings I had someone in my comments yesterday going why is everyone a narcissist and it's like well you, you've come on a content creator who talks about narcissism complaining about them talking about narcissism yeah come on now I'm not going to make everyone happy and neither are you we're doing a lot of good in the world we are putting out really helpful content we are doing things to help people help themselves because we recognize the privilege we have of this knowledge and the access to therapy being really difficult and especially to us as individuals being busy and everything else we cannot make every single one of those people happy just can't do it and there back to what you said about responsibility because in any relationship we are going to annoy frustrate it pissed the other person off like what you were saying it's inevitable that one of us would yes. get vexed with each other <laughs> but then it's up to so if you've if I get annoyed or frustrated at something with you it's my responsibility to say that to you in Absolutely. a in a in a non-confrontational way you know and I will have to get in touch with so when I say healthy anger under the umbrella of anger is frustration annoyance irked pissed off peeved and I will have to identify that when something happens to say hey that that's not okay I didn't like x and that is my responsibility whereas generally when we're brought up in an environment the responsibility there's such investment there's no boundaries and the and it was all laid here on this child that it was her fault mm-hmm. and her responsibility so now if you my friend are pissed off with me she's going to think that it's her responsibility to check in and are you okay and is everything okay are you mad at me Whereas it's the other person's responsibility if something happened to share that with you. Also, I am not friends with people that I don't trust to be honest with me if I've annoyed them. Wow. Yeah. I won't be. I literally won't be around people if I if I think that you're not. So I've got a couple of friends who are people pleasers and they know that they don't tell me the truth. I don't hang out with them very much. I have a saying that and I read it. It's not mine and I love it. If authenticity isn't on the menu, I'm not sitting at the table. Oh. I, I've and here for this for this uh, writer that when we're talking about these layers, that I get to the point. Yeah, if you can't show up, if you can't express that to me, and if if what we've used a lot of personal examples today, I think to highlight yeah. who is responsible for what, where the boundary is, and what am I responsible for, and what are you responsible for. And for this listener, when when that is cured, it can seem like, oh, that's a lot. But when we start this process, like you're saying with your new shoes and we are standing or stomping on these eggshells, it is empowering and it is freeing. Yeah. And we get to have autonomy that we should have had in childhood. Yeah. And it and that is that is liberating. Hugely. Absolutely. And I think what's really, really important to notice to this writer is the fact that you can see the toxicity is half the goddamn battle. Yes. The fact that you can sit there going, I think I've got fawn response. I notice I do this thing when I bottle up my emotions. I really struggle to make sure that everybody's happy. The fact that you can see that in your own behavior and you recognize the toxicity from childhood oh my god you're so far down the road such awareness there isn't so much and that that is the hope yeah for me as a therapist the hope is based in 
your acknowledgement, your lack of denial. You see where Katie was saying at the beginning about she was going to therapy and she's like, no, I have amazing childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and that therapist must have been sat there just going, all right, always rolling. Do you know, I have always thought about her and I have wondered. <laughs> I, have, I have wondered. Um, I've actually wondered that if she was more straight speaking to me, I, I wondered... Or, and maybe she was and I couldn't hear it. That's how long ago it was because I she was definitely challenging, which I needed. And but that just shows, yeah, how stuck I was in, oh, in denial. Yeah. And here. So Helen is absolutely right in what she's saying, the awareness that you have. So when we're saying like this on a continuum and on a I, I hate that word journey, but kind of on a journey or let's say unlayering um, how much you've put in, in in one page, like your awareness there, how you're able to articulate yourself, even being able to identify your own emotions and like that link the pattern. Because the thread here that I see, and that's what I look for, I look for what is the thread. And the thread is fear of conflict because of fear of rejection and a deep fear of abandonment. And that is the wound. Absolutely. And overly responsible for everybody else's feelings. Yes. You know, because of that fear of rejection, abandonment, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Katie, what do you think? Have you said all you can say? I mean, I, probably not knowing <laughs> us, but <laughs> I, I hope so. I, I hope again, and I, I you know, I, I say this at the end because in therapy you get to sit with a lot of these emotions and be able to sit with actually what this was like in childhood and then actually, you know, be able to move into to adulthood. So again, I just hope that the compassion is conveyed here to this listener because I actually think she's amazing. Me too. Me too. The fact that, well, hang on, well, how old did they say they were? 23. Oh my God. She's 23. Only... That's Mo- huge. That is unbelievable. To have that awareness at 23, you're on about the, to start this process early. So the, you know, when let, let's imagine smoking, you know, when somebody smoked for 30 or 40 years and has deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained habits. So it's, of course we can change them, but the longer the habits are there. So you are starting this at 23 um, before. So these are conditioned patterns of behavior and it is hard. I'm not minimizing how hard it is um, to unlearn them. But you haven't done these all throughout your adulthood and also. These these aren't crystallized, I think is what Katie's saying. These aren't crystallized, so they're easier to undo. They're easier to unlearn. They're easier to challenge. The memories are fresher. I just want to stop just one last thing about this, because it comes up with lots of clients. This writer says, I can't go into much detail about my father, not because I don't want to, but I can't really remember. And I just wanted to touch on that because... This is a very, very common the impact of extended, prolonged, or even short-term trauma. And when we talk about trauma, there is big T trauma. So we're talking car crashes, plane crashes, big, big singular events, and little T trauma, which is death by a thousand paper cuts, where you are exposed to this kind of thing through a prolonged period of time, but it has exactly the same impact as big T trauma, if not more, actually. So not remembering, A, is not um, prohibitive towards therapy. I can work with people who've got absolutely no memory of their childhood and it's successful. And it's totally normal. It's, It's a big red flag, but it's totally normal. So yeah, just wanted to touch on that. 
And so when you use that word normal, I want this listener to know that she is normal. Yes. <laughs> and by us sharing our examples, it was to normalize that to yeah. say this is very, this is very normal. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, not healthy. Sorry. I don't mean normal when I say healthy, but this is this is normal. This is typical. It's a typical this, response, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You think, you know, I don't like the word normal anyway, but the word typical. No. This is what we would expect to see from someone who has experienced this level of trauma. Yeah. You know, this is something that we see in our therapy rooms all the time, possibly even in ourselves sometimes. And you, it's it's so, it doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you irregular. It doesn't make you different. It makes you traumatized actually. And so much, so much love to you for that. Oh, anyway. Katie, what is your win for this week? On the theme of what we're talking about and not being able to identify um, when we said healthy boundaries, I have a client and they had such a fear of rejection and abandonment that when they were in work, they loved the idea of being needed so much because if you need me there's less chance of rejecting me that then the boundaries are skewered and they're a prime candidate and easily to take advantage of um, from from people that intentionally take advantage of that so this was happening when they were when they were off when they were out of hours finished work that they would be getting calls late into the evening and they were we we had talked about this before but there was a real example when they were in and they were they were off and their phone started ringing and it was their boss and the, the phone was on silent and they took it out and I could see the sheer panic right so the dysregulated so in fight or flight that panic that I have to answer this now and it was wonderful to work with it in the moment and I had said what would it be like just to put the phone down until it stops ringing and there was the the panic and they put the phone down and as we talked about this and actually saw, what would that have been like if you didn't do what you were asked or told in childhood? And I mean, the consequences oh, wow. were just, yeah, from one parent being loud and abusive to the other parent stonewalling uh, and giving them the silent treatment and shaming them. So when we were able to talk about this and identify what the child needed, they were able to regulate themselves and actually then were surprised. So again, there was this distance from actually now and the call that they were able to Hold it. Now, this is the bit that I want to talk about to not overwhelm. We had talked about, okay, so what's the likelihood of you not replying for the day? And they were like, no, I, I like I, I won't be able to. And it was like, okay, so what if when you go out, maybe by the time you get home that you send a reply? And we talked about the reply and the reply was, I missed your call. Mm-hmm. So no apology, yes. not sorry, yes. I missed your call and not a phone call back because that's what would have happened. There would have been a phone call back saying, sorry, I missed your call. I was busy. Whereas this person started to identify that they actually had a right to their own time. They had a right to their time off and got in touch with their healthy anger to see that it wasn't okay, that this person was quite entitled to think that they could contact them just when they needed. And this, you know, we we talked about this. This was not life or death situations. This was not something that it needed. To the point then, and this is the bit where they weren't able to, so this was a body of work, and then they were off for a week's holidays. And one evening, so this was even like eight o'clock in the evening when they were off on a week's holidays, and they were they were busy and their phone was actually off, and when they came out, they had a missed call and two messages from somebody. And they told me that they replied saying, 
you know, I'm I'm on my annual leave and I've left. You're able to find what you're looking for in such and such. <gasps> oh, my oh, God. I know. I'm so glad you're having that reaction. And and they were there. But still, they were kind of minimizing it. They were like, oh, yeah, this thing happened. Oh you know, they, they just God. happened to mention that they were often we were just having kind of a bit of a conversation. And I said, what, what was that like for you? And this just by chance came up. This was not something mm-hmm. that they were they sharing really with me, being proud yeah. of. No. And I said, wow. And like that, your eyes were just open there. You were like, oh, my God. And we went back through this. And I was like, do you remember this? Do you remember, you know, a couple of weeks before that where you absolutely thought there was nothing wrong, that they were phoning you and kind of this need to be uh, the fear of rejection? You know, so when people say I need to be liked, it's the fear of rejection. And because if you need me, there's less chance of you rejecting me. So to get to that point was That's amazing amazing truly amazing yeah oh I'm so oh, glad yeah what, what an amazing bit of work well done you because yeah. that you know that's a lot of insight and in looking into like digging back and pulling back those layers so amazing well, there for this listener to see that we 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 do these things so when we're saying it's layered yeah there's no way if they come in that that would be completely on helpful and even unethical on my part if somebody came in and went okay well just stop answering the phone then yeah. you know and overwhelm them and, and then in turn shaming them that this is the layered process we're talking about and they're they were now wearing these shoes they were that comfortable in it that they didn't that they yes. didn't realize what they'd done they, they were like oh so that's amazing huge. well done you well done thank you so right back at you what's your win for the week mm, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've got one I might do two because one is like just a life thing. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> do two. I'm excited. Okay. One is in March of 2020. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> I just need a minute. <laughs> Basically, in March of 2020, I bought myself a new Apple Watch with the thing of thinking, we're going to be in lockdown. I need to make sure I'm keeping my steps up. Nothing to do with the fact that it's a shiny gadget and I'm a complete magpie and just want pretty things. Nothing at all. But when I bought it, it was replacing an old one and the transfer over of the SIM card thing didn't work properly. It required me to make a phone call, which I made. And at the time they said do this this this, and this and then it'll be okay it was not okay Katie so for (laughs) next nearly two years no it is two it's bloody March now (laughs) two years I have put off phoning them back and saying anyway this week I phoned them back and I said this hasn't worked for a really long time. I've been paying five pounds a month for this benefit that I have not used for two years. I mean, that's 120 quid on something I've not used. Yeah. And I rang them up and the guy was amazing on the phone and he went through all my phone contracts. He said, oh, well, this needs updating and you can have more data and this, that and the other and and we'll sort this one out too. And oh, and you're paying for Apple Music. I'm just going to throw that in so you don't have to pay for that anymore. And yes, we will sort out your Apple Watch. And I did. It took took me two bloody years. I was late for a session, but I did it. I made the phone call. So, yeah, that's my big life win. 
Helen, that's huge. I can't let you just jump on to the second one there without acknowledging that. So here, the procrastination, the putting off, that's too big a job. Oh, I, I can't face that. And then to the point of actually facing it and not only overcoming it, but then having exponential gain, you know, having all the, the extras. And here is the bit that actually the thread tying into what we're talking about, healthy communication, being able to express what, what is right for you. And then when we're met with that understanding on the other side of their a healthy relationship. And they're like, oh my God, yeah, look at all this and yeah. here's more. So what a what a reward for then yeah. accomplishing it. And it's it's one of those things. I'm quite good at burying my hand, my head in the sand sometimes. It's a weird thing. I'm very proactive. I'm very like, you ask me to do something, it gets done. But there, I think it's something because, about it being for me. And there's a certain number of transitions. And if I don't know if you know about neurodiversity, but transitions, so the idea of moving from one thing to the next is a very difficult thing in neurodiversity. And it's something I do really struggle with. So things like doing the washing, I just find it the most laborious task because it's moving things to things to things and then putting things away and ugh, just it's too much. Um, which which takes me to my second life win, which is I put away all my washing this morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I will take that as a win. So for me, it's the completion of tasks. And I think that's something that lots of people will struggle with and they'll all recognise this, that the completion yeah. of tasks. And I talk about it with clients all the time, like what stops us completing? And there is something about, sometimes I think it's about whether or not I deserve it. So if I put away the washing, it means that the washing is ready for me to, you know, my clean clothes are in the places they should be. And that will make my life a bit easier. And there's something in there about me feeling like it should be hard. Life should be a bit hard. And when I put my washing away, I'm, I'm making it easier. And I think we can be, I don't quite know where it comes from, but it's this thing of if, if, if life is too easy, then you're not doing it right. And I think I'm trying to make my life easier. And that I think is the overarching win is that I'm allowing yeah. myself to have an easier life if I want one. I am deserving of ease. I'm deserving of waking up and they're having clean clothes to put on and it doesn't have to be a struggle. Exactly. Wow. And I love that what you're saying there, I am, if you ask me to do something, I will do it. I am this active yes go-getter um, and I will do things and then here on the other side so here when when people are looking for absolutes there's no absolutes and I love what you're sharing because it's saying I'm this multifaceted person mm -hmm. yeah yeah and the, and those two truths can exist together absolutely and I think yeah. it really is important that we tell people that you and I who are at risk of being put on pedestals because of what we do are just human beings with our own challenges, yeah. our own flaws, our own struggles. You know, there was Friday morning. Actually, I should have said the podcast was my win because Friday morning we released it and that had taken a lot of work to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, you know, we went really hard. And then yeah, we did. And I was doing all the technical side of it. And Friday morning, I was like, oh, I'm going to check Apple Podcasts as I'm, as I'm dropping my old youngest off at school. <laughs> And it wasn't there. And what was brilliant 
was I didn't panic Katie I just went well I can't do anything about it right now I'll sort it out when I get home that's huge Oh my God! Absolutely, I, know, I, was, I did send you a little voicemail going, uh, "It's not there," but it wasn't like I didn't feel like I had let you down. I didn't feel the shame of it. I didn't feel any yes. kind of, you know, because that would have in the past. I would have felt deep rooted shame, but I was just like, well, it's "Out of my control." I did everything I thought I was doing, and I'm I'm flying a little bit blind on this. So big deal. It's not out. Yeah, I'll go and fix it in a minute. It, that Helen, there's. Yeah. Look at the win of um, that, that there when a mistake happens, that I'm giving myself the grace and compassion. Yeah, that I don't feel responsible for everybody else's reaction. Yeah. And there that that what you were talking about was it in our last podcast um, with your daughter, a, a big sad, oh, yeah, or the little a sad, little sad. Yeah. Is this is this the dog dying? Like, yeah. or is this just it'll be released 20 minutes later? And but to be able to do that in the moment yeah. was amazing. There's there's the win. And here's the here's the thing about so there with the win with my client one is so and for this listener one is when we have to actively set that intention and do it and it's a struggle when they were putting down their phone that was active intention and then to the point that this just happened naturally so in therapy what you're talking about there is when I would shame and berate myself over something for making a mistake and in therapy then we would highlight that and and actively generate the compassion and then what happens is is that that's brought so then I might do something and I might berate myself for a day or two as opposed to a week or two and then I'll notice that I'm bringing in but gradually this will be brought back and brought back that I will do it immediately afterwards or there that is the healing when in the moment I'm able so there I'm wearing the new shoes I'm wearing they're comfortable in the moment I'm able to offer myself that grace and compassion that we would just automatically give to somebody else absolutely but you know what else is really important aspect of that it was that it was happening in my relationship with you and I trusted you not to be pissed off with me about it but don't get all emotional (laughs) 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 but it was absolutely one of the thoughts of Katie's not going to get angry with me about this. I don't need to feel any kind of shame. I know it'll be fine. And that is why healthy, authentic relationships are so bloody important to healing, because to know and to be able to predict your reaction is the like foundation of security and relational authenticity and happiness boundary setting and senses of self that is what our parents owed us as children and when they do not do that we dysregulate we fawn we fight we flight the end (laughs) yeah i cannot add to that that's a that's a wonderful way to end this podcast well Thank you, Helen, thank you. and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and all your support. We are so grateful and, you know, so grateful. So grateful. I can't tell you. So you do a lot for us as much as we do for you. So thank you. Yeah. All that remains to be said, I guess, is take care. Bye. Bye.